his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up. Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs. Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. Instacart for the win. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. We came very close to a catastrophic breakdown of our democratic accountability. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. Right now, we're kind of stuck in this cycle where every summer we're hearing another story about a big fire and a town burning down. It's still extremely difficult to hold government agencies accountable for abuses that take place in the name of national security. This is KCBS In-Depth. Long COVID, the rumbling aftershock of an already frightening disease, it can strike even after a patient has seemingly already fully recovered, inflicting a whole new array of symptoms that can last for months, or in some cases, perhaps even become permanent. But even as more and more people come down with long COVID, the ailment remains largely mysterious. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Keith Manconi. Well, when it comes to long COVID, we are sadly short on answers to even basic questions, like what causes it, how it can be treated, and who's most at risk. So today in the program, we're going to check in with some experts on the disease to hear from them what we do know so far, and also talk about what it's going to take to get a handle on this thing. First up, I'm going to be joined once again on this program by KCBS reporter Holly Kwan, who put together a series of special reports on long COVID that's been airing all this past week. So to start things off, she's going to tell us a little bit about what her reporting has turned up. Holly, welcome back onto the program. Long time no see. Always good to talk to you, Keith. Absolutely. So one of the first things to know about long COVID is that There is no single way that this disease is presenting itself. You know, with this disease, we're talking about a cloud of symptoms that people may experience, you know, symptoms like fatigue, shortness of breath, heart problems, cognitive problems. And because there's no one set of long COVID symptoms, that also means that no two long COVID stories are exactly alike. Uh, So, Holly, tell us uh, about what you heard when you went out and spoke to a few Bay Area long COVID sufferers. Well, I thought what was interesting was that a lot of the discussions we've had have been very clinical. I mean, what is it that is long COVID? What does it cause? Um, You know, how? But but I didn't feel that we knew really what that meant for people, how it really impacts their lives. And a lot of times people were saying, well, it happens to mostly, you know, women more than men. It happens to older people rather than young people. And I ended up, you know, for instance, 
uh, talking to a 26-year-old who had lost her sense of taste and smell 18 months ago. And her story was just gut-wrenching because, you know, you think, well, I'm not a baker, I'm not a chef, I'm not a winemaker. You know, what do I, I don't worry about my sense of taste and smell. But what she had said to me was like she wanted to smell her mom. Um, she nearly burned the house down because she had uh, frozen waffles that caught fire in the toaster, and she couldn't smell it until there were um, smoke detectors that were going off inside the house. And so they have these are the kind of visceral impacts of long COVID that we don't usually think about when we think about the loss of, of taste and, and smell. Um, I also spoke with a journalist and author, Katie Hafner. Now, she has been experiencing extreme fatigue since she came down with a mild case of COVID back in May. If you look at me and talk to me, I seem like my normal self. Like, I feel fine right now because it's the morning and I got a little bit of sleep. But in an hour or two, I will be just begging to go to bed. Despite all of those symptoms of extreme fatigue and, um, you know, sort of brain fog, you know, she says it is that mental energy that gets zapped first. Especially the writing. Writing is tough and takes a lot of energy. But I've never, and so I've gotten fatigued, but I've never gotten just overwhelmingly fatigued where I've actually had to beg off meetings and just say I've hit a wall, can't do it. So what exactly do we make of all this? You know, what is long COVID? Um, You can't even necessarily get people who have it or have something kind of like it to agree that they they even have it themselves. There was a disagreement in Hafner's own household. Her husband happens to be UCSF Dr. Bob Walker, who is a leading COVID expert. And we sat on their porch debating the semantics of long COVID. I think the jury's out. I mean, I have these symptoms. They seem to be inching toward recovery. I don't know. What do you think? think you're wrong but <laughs> Katie's saying well I don't have it because it's not that bad or it's getting a little bit better but you've just heard it's completely changed her ability to do work and uh, and how much energy and uh, yeah, well her brain is working people minimize them and people say you know that's it's nothing obviously not nothing and it's actually a classic set of symptoms so as you can tell, it's not easy to define what is long COVID. Even people who have it, people who live with people who are experts in it, can't agree what long COVID is. And I think that's part of the problem is that nobody can really uh, agree what it is and, and whether somebody has it. Mm, yeah, well put. As you say, lots of big questions out there, lots of uncertainty. But for the rest of the program, we are going to be trying to find what answers we can. And uh, to help us out with that, we're going to welcome on our first guest right now. That would be Dr. Michael Peluso. He is an assistant professor of medicine at UC San Francisco, who is co-leading a research study into long COVID. Dr. Michael Peluso, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thanks for having me. So I want to start with this question of definition. How do we define long COVID? You know, if it is something that is presenting itself in so many different ways, acting different ways, help us get on the same page. For the sake of this conversation, Dr. Peluso, what should we have in mind when we talk about long COVID? Yeah, it's a great question. So we, we know that most people fully recover after having a COVID infection, but we know that many people do not. And so when we talk about long COVID, what we really mean 
is that some people have physical or in some cases, mental health symptoms that persist that don't go away after they've had a COVID infection. This can happen in anyone. It can even happen in people who were vaccinated to protect against COVID or in people who were treated for COVID. It can look very different between different people. So some people have symptoms that are primarily of um, sort of a cardiopulmonary nature. So they might have a racing heart or heart palpitations. They might have chest pain. They might have issues with their blood pressure. Uh, they might have trouble exercising or feel totally wiped out with, uh, with any sort of physical activity. Other people might have primarily neurological symptoms. So things like headaches, trouble concentrating, um, trouble sleeping. Other people might have gastrointestinal symptoms. So things like nausea or diarrhea, changes in their appetite, changes in their weight. Um, it's quite variable between different people. And there's a quote from Dr. Alali in St. Louis where he said a few weeks ago, if you've seen one case of long COVID, you've seen one case of long COVID. And I think that really rings true for me. You know, I know um, hundreds of people experiencing long COVID right now, and everybody has their own unique story. So what we're trying to do is to figure out what is similar between those stories, what's different in those stories, and really how to define this condition so that we can get at what is causing it and eventually try to prevent it or treat it. Do you feel, it feels like because there are so many different symptoms. There could be, you know, somebody who loses their balance because their blood pressure um, goes down. There's somebody who loses their taste, uh, their, their sense of taste and smell. There's somebody who has brain fog. There's so many different disciplines. How do you go about looking at treating these things? Yeah, that's a great question. So the first thing we need to do is understand what's causing them. And, and that's sort of the stage that we're at right now. What that is going to take, because of the reasons that you mentioned, is really a, a highly coordinated effort across multiple disciplines to delve into the biology of what might be causing long COVID. So a major component of that is hearing from people experiencing long COVID, what their stories are, what they've been experiencing, how their symptoms have changed over time, so that we can figure out how to group people to do a deeper dive into the biology of what's causing them to experience those symptoms. That's gonna require a coordinated effort from internal medicine and infectious disease physicians like me, but also from pulmonologists, cardiologists, neurologists, gastroenterologists, um, mental health professionals, um, physical medicine and rehabilitation spe specialists sort of the whole gamut of, of medicine is involved in long COVID. And so what is happening now is this massive national and international effort that you know every specialty in medicine is involved in to try to figure out what is the, the physiology of the symptoms that people experience in long COVID, what is the biology that drives that, and eventually the goal of all of this is by understanding that biology to be able to develop ways to prevent and treat long COVID. So it's, it's one of the most complex challenges of our time, I think. It doesn't involve just one group of 
of specialists or one group of scientists. It's really um, a huge collaboration between uh, you know, individuals who are experiencing the condition, their advocates, the clinical medical community, and the research scientific community to try to figure it out. This may be a, a very broad question, but why is it so difficult to find answers about this disease? Is it because it's still in its infancy? Yeah, so that's, you know, that's a question that I get a lot. And I think that the thing that's really important for people to understand about long COVID, just like with COVID, with acute COVID, there's not a textbook that we can go to to look up the answers here. This is a new pathogen that caused a new type of acute infection that has a new set of post-acute sequelae of things that happen after the acute infection. And we are learning about this in real time and trying to figure it out um, in real time on a time scale that will benefit the people who are affected now. That's a big challenge. I think, um, you know, like I said, at the beginning of the epidemic and appropriately so, most of the resources for COVID research we're going into trying to figure out how to prevent people from getting very sick upfront. So there was rapid implementation of clinical trials to try to identify treatments to prevent people from getting you know, very, very sick with COVID. And then right after that, there was a huge scale up of efforts to prevent COVID, you know, the vaccine efforts, which were hugely successful. But until more recently, there hasn't been as much attention, at least in research, on figuring out what's causing long COVID. That's because it's taken a while to come to really understand what people are experiencing. Um, and because only now uh, have we really built up the resources and the bandwidth to delve into these problems. So I'm really hopeful that all of the attention on this issue now will lead to answers over the next couple of years. Because um, I think that this is going to be a problem that is is with us as long as the the COVID pandemic is with us. Well, it really is a dizzying set of challenges. So uh, glad that you could get us situated in that part of the conversation. Uh, we're up next. We're going to get a little bit more of a patient perspective into the mix. Real quick, want to remind anybody uh, who is joining us that this is KCBS in depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Menconi, joined today by KCBS reporter Holly Kwan. Talking about long COVID once again, that's the mysterious post-COVID ailment that is leaving an alarming number of people with debilitating symptoms for months or longer. Speaking so far with Dr. Michael Peluso, an assistant professor of medicine at UC San Francisco who is studying long COVID. Now, while that work has been going on that we've been hearing about so far in the conversation, long COVID patients have also been getting involved in the research effort as well. And we're going to hear from one of them right now. So our next guest on the program is Lisa McCorkle. She's an Oakland resident who suffers from long COVID, and she is also the co-founder of the Patient-Led Research Collaborative. It's a group advocating for long COVID patients. Lisa McCorkle, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. So it really seems like a theme of this conversation so far has been uncertainty. Uh, as we've been saying, it is a new disease, still so many questions about it. Uh, and we, from the patient perspective, I have to imagine not knowing what's causing you to feel this way, when these uh, symptoms might go away, where to look to to find help. I, have, I imagine that uncertainty factor must just add a whole extra level of uh, anxiety, 
on top of everything else that uh, patients are facing. I'm wondering if you could start out by talking about what the uncertainty has meant in this experience. Sure. Yeah. The uncertainty of long COVID and um, just generally contested illnesses and um, illnesses that there's not much known about is absolutely challenging and frustrating. Long COVID is having a huge impact on people's lives, on our quality of life, ability to work, ability to even just be with our loved ones. Um, In our patient-led research, we found that two-thirds of our respondents with long COVID were unable to work at all or had to reduce their hours. Um, A lot of people are bed-bound or house-bound, and really in order to find quality care, you often have to be on a wait list that's months long. So while there is a lot of research being done on long COVID, there's a lot of potential treatments that are being trialed. Um, not having access to those answers now and not knowing really when they'll come and not knowing if you'll have access to those answers and to a provider who is educated on those answers is frankly really scary. Yeah. And so that's where a lot of the work that you're doing comes in. Again, co-founder of the Patient-Led Research Collaborative, kind of acting as a bridge between sufferers of long COVID and folks in the research community, uh, making sure that patient perspectives are represented in that research, also in the policy response to helping sufferers of long COVID. I I suppose we should mention uh, that you yourself, Lisa McCorkle, uh, came down with COVID all the way back in March of 2020 and and have had long COVID symptoms ever since. So this is something that you're speaking to from personal experience. Talk a little bit more, if you could, about the importance of getting that patient perspective into the mix on all these fronts. What do we risk losing when we don't have that patient perspective? Yeah, I think um, it's so important to ensure that the research that's being done now, that the treatments that are being focused on are based in patient experience. A lot of what we see in research right now is um, is not really reflective of the patient experience. So what happens is that research will be focused on a very select uh, group of symptoms um, that, that doesn't reflect the patient experience or it doesn't account for what often happens to us where, um, you know, sometimes our symptoms will, will be okay one day and then will be um, significantly worse the next, or it can change hour by hour. And often the, the research is not really reflective of that experience. Um, I think that's, that's really, that showed up in, in our research as patient-led research collaborative Uh, we were the first to document that there were these neurological symptoms um, that people with long COVID were experiencing. Previously, it was thought of as mainly a respiratory illness. Um, It's clearly so much more beyond that. Uh, There's very little research into the reproductive symptoms that are occurring in people with long COVID. And yet that is something that we've documented as patients and is something that is Um, really deeply impacting many people with long COVID is um, additional menstrual symptoms, um, perimenopause, just this wide variety that's not really being looked into. So when we're we're looking at research into long COVID, it's so critical to include the patient voice and patient perspective in when developing that research in order to find answers and to get us closer to what is actually really happening to our bodies. 
Speaking once again to Lisa McCorkle, the co-founder of the Patient-Led Research Collaborative. So for all of our talk about long COVID being a very new disease, lots of new challenges, uh, you've been pointing out that in another way, there really is historical precedent here. There are many other post-viral diseases that people have faced in the past. And, well, in a lot of cases, uh, you've been arguing that uh, they've really been neglected and that a lot of that has to do with the nature of the disease itself and also uh, who's suffering from it. Yeah, so it's it's really interesting. I think when, when talking about long COVID, a lot of people think of it as a very uh, a new thing that that's happening. Um, but what we're seeing is a ton of overlap with other post-viral illnesses, things that, that happen after people get viruses. Um, so these are illnesses like myalgic encephalomyelitis or chronic fatigue syndrome, um, or I might refer to that as ME-CFS, um, forms of dysautonomia um, like POTS or postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. These are illnesses that millions of people had pre-COVID and we're seeing a huge overlap in people with long COVID. Over half or about half of people with long COVID meet the diagnostic criteria for ME-CFS. Uh, about three quarters of people with long COVID meet the criteria for POTS. And these are things that were historically just very underfunded, very dismissed. Um, they were often seen as white women's illnesses and chalked up to hysteria. Um, and I think that is a huge reason why we're not further along in treating long COVID and understanding long COVID as we are because of that historical underinvestment in those illnesses. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's critical for any research that's done moving forward to be based off of what we do know about those illnesses because of the huge overlap um, with those illnesses and to not reinvent the wheel, to not, um, you know, ignore those the hypotheses that have come from those research studies that uh, really looked into a lot of these post-viral illnesses. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. When the whole family comes together to watch the game, nobody wants to miss a second of the action to run to the grocery store. With Instacart, you can get all your weekly groceries in as fast as an hour. Less time shopping means more game time. Let's go. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.
Once again, this is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi, joined by Holly Kwan, speaking today with Dr. Michael Peluso, an assistant professor of medicine at UC San Francisco, and just heard a second ago from Lisa McCorkle, the co-founder of the Patient-Led Research Collaborative, talking about long COVID, how to understand it, how research is progressing, and, uh, you know, uh, we'll be talking a little bit more later about what sufferers can do to find support. Uh, But uh, Holly, I'll let you take the next question. Dr. Peluso, I'm interested in whether you feel that we have done enough outreach into non-English speaking communities because there are a lot of lower income disenfranchised neighborhoods that have been impacted by COVID and those people don't have the same kind of access to health care and health education and may not know that they have long COVID and not know that they need to and can seek treatment. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, COVID has affected everybody on the planet in some way, but we know that certain communities, particularly in the U.S. in the U.S. and certainly in the Bay Area, um, have been disproportionately affected by COVID, especially during different waves of of this ongoing pandemic. And what I worry about is that communities that don't have um, as high a level of access to medical care or to healthcare resources, maybe experiencing long COVID, um, individuals in that community may be experiencing long COVID, but they they may not be connected enough to the medical system to be able to describe that experience to a healthcare provider or to even know that it's something that um, they should be talking with their healthcare provider about. One of our major efforts in our research study is not just to understand the biology of long COVID, but really to get the word out in all of the various communities in the Bay Area that have been affected by COVID so that we make sure that there's good awareness about this problem, good advocacy, um, good participation in research studies to try to solve the problem. Because ultimately, in order to figure this out, we really need our studies, our our study populations, the people who are engaged in our research programs to look like all of the people who have been affected by COVID in our geographic area and in the country. And so that means having really good representation from certain groups of people who may not otherwise um, have research studies available to them. That's a a major effort um, for us. And I hope that it will lead to more answers about how people are affected and what's causing this. Lisa, I, I was stunned when you were talking about reproductive issues. It was something that hadn't even occurred to me. And I wondered from, from both of you, um, your concerns with regards to how ill-prepared we may be to what may be um, a wave of, a coming wave of people who have these debilitating post-COVID chronic issues. Um, sure, yeah. I mean, right now we're looking at 7.5% of all adults in the U.S. currently experiencing long COVID. That's right now, 7.5% of all adults. That's a huge number already. We're already experiencing this surge of of long COVID and of a mass disabling event. And with the BA5 surge coming now, that number is going to jump quickly, um, you know, especially when we're seeing long COVID result from reinfections. So this is... A, a massive issue already. The the wait list that we're seeing from providers um, that specialize in this type of care is huge, and it's only going to get worse. You know, a, many providers are not familiar with post viral illnesses, are not up to date on long COVID research or 
um, how to best treat patients. So even if you're able to get in to see a provider, it, it, the chances of you receiving quality care are fairly low. So this is a, a massive issue that we are very ill-prepared for, um, and it, it's only going to get worse. And Dr. Michael Peluso, I'm curious for your perspective on that question as well. Obviously, you've been doing a lot of uh, very important work at UCSF. Many other researchers have been looking at this problem, too. Uh, how close are we to finding answers? Uh, should should um, should we be uh, concerned, as Lisa McCorkle is suggesting, at the rate of progress that we're making and the, the level of investment that's been made? Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with everything that Lisa has spoken about. Um, I think that it's really hard to know right now with the pandemic continuing and the context of the pandemic with vaccines, with new variants, all these curveballs that get thrown at us um, over time, it, it's really hard to know, um, you know, what, what level of, of uh, what number of people are going to be affected by this over, over the long term. I mean, the estimates so far, is, as Lisa suggested, are, you know, high proportions of people will experience at least mild long COVID symptoms, even if those symptoms are not interfering with their, their lives in a major way, you know, it's still important to know about those, but a substantial proportion of people with long COVID are unfortunately really debilitated and the healthcare system needs to be prepared to serve those people, um, to, you know, evaluate them medically, to get them the services and support that they need, um, and hopefully to eventually off, be able to offer them treatments. Like Lisa said, there are huge wait lists at most, most institutions that are aiming to serve long COVID patients right now. I am hopeful that as we build capacity over the next year, that will change. I am hopeful that we will continue you know, you know, every month of this to learn more and more and get closer and closer to piecing together all of the pieces of this big puzzle. Um, but ultimately, this is going to require a lot of um, you know, investment on the part of uh, the scientific community and the medical community, as well as a, a lot of um, su support and advocacy from patient groups like Lisa's uh, to, to figure it out. All right. Well, only have about a minute left and uh, going to give the closing thought to Lisa McCorkle. You work with long COVID patients, advocate for them, uh, but obviously not all this information is getting out to everybody who needs it. For anybody who might be listening who is suffering from long COVID or sus suspects they might be suffering from long COVID, what would you hope that they were aware of? Yeah, my, my first suggestion is to join a support group uh, that's hugely helpful. I recommend the Body Politic COVID-19 support group. Um, the other thing is you're entitled to accommodations at work. Um, that's something hugely important in order to continue working. So I recommend going to askjan.org for more information on how to get accommodations at work. Um, make sure to keep advocating for yourself to your doctors, to your family, to your friends, and ultimately just know that you're not alone in this. There are millions of us going through this, and we're, we're all in this together. Yeah, well... Very good point to end on, and uh, glad that we got to highlight that on the program today. We are going to have to round things out right there, though. We have been speaking once again to Lisa McCorkle, who we heard from just a second ago. She, one last time, is the co-founder of the Patient-Led Research Collaborative. Lisa McCorkle, thanks so much. Thank you. 
And we've also been speaking with Dr. Michael Peluso. He is an assistant professor of medicine at UC San Francisco studying long COVID. Dr. Michael Peluso, thanks to you as well. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In Depth, I'm Keith Benconi, joined this time by Holly Kwan. Thanks, Holly. Always good to be part of the conversation. Good to have you. And for all those listening out there, stay safe, be well. Talk again next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. hi And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas... Phoenix, and Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.